Guides are a popular thing for different occasions and a very unpopular thing for other occasions. So when you go and buy something, typically what happens is you get a guide, right? You get an instruction manual that shows you how to operate that thing, how to assemble that thing. And um, typically what happens, at least with the, you know, the stereotypical guy is they don't use that instruction manual. They just kind of chuck it aside and do their own thing. And yet, there are also uh, times where we spend exorbitant amounts of money uh, to get guides in various other things. So people go on guided hunts, they go on guided wilderness trips, and they'll spend extreme amounts of money to do those things. Not always are they guided things that I would say don't do, like a guided trip to Israel costs, you know, thousands of dollars, but like I pay thousands of dollars to do that, right? And so it comes down to what? Do we value the guide or not, right? Are we willing to follow that guide? Do we value that guide and view it as something that is valuable and worthy of our attention and worthy of our focus or not? And so in Acts chapter 8, what is happening is the Spirit is continuing to guide and lead his church and advancing the mission that he has. If you remember, Christ has died. But Christ is raised from the dead, and he has been now resurrected and is seating at the right hand of God, right? And so his message of redemption and salvation has been given to the church. And the church of God is now supposed to take the mission and the message of God and advance it and see that the people of the world hear about who Jesus Christ is and that they will come to receive his offer of salvation. And the mission has been steadily advancing. And now it is going to continue to advance into territory that is at this time unreached. And so what you and I are supposed to do, I believe, in looking at this passage is that you and I are supposed to learn to follow in obedience as well. I believe that the theme as we work through this passage is this, that we follow God's leading to advance his mission of saving the nations. If you would take your copy of God's word and let's read together Acts chapter 8 verses 26 through verse 40. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and 
all who will declare and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scriptures, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing, but Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Father, we do thank you for your word. We pray that you would use our words to help us to see that you are still using us to advance your mission. We pray that as we are confronted with the truth that you use fallible human beings to advance your mission in the world today, that we would be challenged and encouraged to yield to your leading and your guidance in our lives and that we would take the truth that we've been equipped with to share that message and that as we do so that we would see others come to a saving knowledge of your son's death, burial, and resurrection. In your name we pray. Amen. The text begins and as it begins you see that God has really prepared the way. And I want to challenge you with the truth that God had prepared the way, but God, I believe, is continuing to prepare the way. He's continuing to guide and direct and lead people in such a way that they are ready for salvation. He's continuing to guide and prepare people and lead them in such a way that you and I will have opportunities to encounter people who are ready for salvation, who need us to boldly speak up clearly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so God is preparing the way. If you'll notice with me, there's a number of times in which the Spirit or the angel of the Lord specifically comes to Philip and guides and directs him in where he is and what he's doing. But I believe that the guidance is far deeper than just what's happening to Philip. God is actually preparing the way of the Ethiopian as well. And so God sends Philip on an additional mission. If you remember, Acts chapter 8, verse 5 and following all the way through verse 25, has Philip on a mission, but he's on a mission to a drastically different place. He's on a mission to the Samaritans. And what happens there is he goes to these people who were isolated from the Jewish nation, people who were looked down upon by the Jewish nation, people who were not invited into the community of Israel. They were looked upon with hostility, with even anger because of the rejection of various truths that the, the Israelites professed. And as Philip goes to the Samaritans, he preaches Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. And what happens? Many people come to salvation. And the truth is confronted by Simon, and I believe Simon rejects the truth. But the overall picture is that Philip's ministry to the Samaritans is something that is truly marvelous. 
Many people come to Christ. The gospel advances into Samaria just as Acts chapter 1 said it would, and it takes over that community. God's word continues to advance and it accomplishes a mission that it has by God. And if you remember, what scripture says in Acts chapter 1 is that you're going to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And this section of Africa that this Ethiopian was from, Ethiopia is probably not quite as accurate as uh, we think about Ethiopia. Ethiopia, as it's referenced here, is probably Sudan. was thought of as like the, the most uh, farthest point of Africa. Now, we know on our geography today that Sudan is not the farthest reaching part of Africa from Israel, but that's how they thought of it. And so it was this picture of the gospel advancing to the furthest most parts of the earth. That's the idea. And so God is sending him on a mission. And God is guiding both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You read on in the following verses. Philip is approached by the angel of the Lord, and he's told, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is desert. And so he rose and went quickly. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Notice this is somebody who somehow has come into contact with the truth of who God is. He doesn't know who Jesus Christ is, he doesn't know about the crucifixion. He doesn't know about the resurrection. He doesn't understand all the details about the coming kingdom. He has no clue about what the church age is. But he knows who God is. And he's coming to worship God. See, God is preparing this man. He's guiding this man and preparing his heart so that when he hears the truth of who Jesus Christ is and how Jesus Christ has transformed people and wants to transform others, willing to embrace it. When he hears the truth of how God is currently working, he's going to embrace it. Why? Because God is currently working in his heart. But the text goes on. Later on, you're going to see that what is he doing as he's returning home? He's reading the prophet Isaiah. The very next verse tells us that. He was returning. This is likely a months-long journey. It's not like today where, you know, if you wanted to go from Sudan to Jerusalem, you hop on the cheapest flight that you can find, and, you know, within 12 hours you're in Jerusalem, you worship for a little bit, and you hop on the next cheapest flight, and you head back to Sudan. Right? That's not the idea. This is probably at least a six-month journey. And he does this so that he can come and worship. This guy is being prepared. And as he's there and he's worshiping, he has finds access to a scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he buys it, something that would have been very expensive in that day and age, and he's reading it. God is preparing this man. God is guiding this man to come to a knowledge of him. And as he's doing this, then what happens? Once again, God steps in, and what happens? God has God sends Philip to the needy Ethiopian. Look with me specifically at verse 29. 
Then the Spirit said to Philip, this is the second occurrence of God specifically coming into Philip's life and guiding and directing him someplace. Okay, he's told him, come this far, arise, go here to this specific road, and now as he's at this specific road, God now directs him even more clearly, and he says, hey, see that chariot right there? I want you to go through that chariot. Because I prepared somebody in that chariot to hear the message that you're going to hear. And so he does that, and what happens? God has prepared his heart, and he realizes he doesn't fully understand the word. And so he goes near, and he overtakes the chariots, and then Philip runs to him, and he hears, hears him reading from the prophet Isaiah. Back in those days, they did not read silently. Hardly ever. Almost every time you would see somebody reading, they would read audibly. Okay? And so he's reading audibly, and Isaiah approaches the chariot, and he hears him reading. And you have to think that I, uh, Philip hears what's being read, and he probably knew Scripture well enough to know, wait a second, that is Scripture. That's God's word. God knew what he was doing when he directed me to this specific situation. He wanted me to share his word with this guy. And so God has prepared his heart. He doesn't fully understand it. And so Philip approaches him and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And his response is, how am I going to understand if somebody doesn't explain it? And so Philip sits down with him and he explains to him the truth of what he's reading. He goes with me, verse 31, has the question, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And what does Philip immediately do? He takes the time to sit down with the man and he explains it to him. So this man is reading about the Messiah, but he doesn't understand the passage. I should have said the Ethiopian is reading about the Messiah, not Philip. Uh, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And so there's this talk about somebody dying and justice not being carried out, in a sense, and his life being taken from the earth. And this man is reading it. He believes who God is. He has a desire to know God better. That's why he's reading God's word. And yet he's confused, and he's asking Philip, hey, who is this about? And, and so he asks Philip, and Philip then begins to explain to him who Jesus is. And so Philip uses God's gracious opportunity to share the truth. And as he explains to him the truth of God's word, what happens? Verse 34, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip responds and he says, what? Philip opens his mouth, and beginning at the scriptures, he preached Jesus to him. What's he preaching to him? He's preaching to him, and he's telling him about who Jesus is. 
He's going to fill in all the details this guy has missed. This guy worships in Jerusalem. He understands that there is only one true God. He understands that sin separates humanity from God. He probably even understood that the Old Testament that he read and he, he wanted to know more about excluded people like him because he was a eunuch. But possibly he'd also read about passages in the Old Testament that said that there was a coming time when eunuchs would no longer be excluded from was wondering how all this works out. And so Philip takes him from where he is. He's somebody who's a God-fearer. He knows that there's one true God. He knows that sin separates people from God. And so he knows that there's a problem. But what's the solution to this man's problem? Philip then takes him and he points him to Jesus. And he says, Jesus is God. And he was born some 30 years ago. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Why? Because he was God. And then after living this perfect life, he was caught by the religious leaders of our day. He was falsely accused of many different crimes. And ultimately, they decided to try him on one of those, and they crucified him. And then he was buried, but he rose again, conquering sin and death. And through faith in him, your sins can be forgiven because he pays the penalty for your sin. You can have righteousness through Jesus Christ. Not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. So he explains all this to him. And he explains it to him from the Old Testament scriptures. And so he tells them who Jesus is. And he tells them that you need to place your faith in Jesus' work, that you need to repent of your sins. And this man does. He does believe. And as he believes in who Jesus Christ is, he realizes that that means that there should be further steps in his walk with Christ. The eunuch understands the truth of the gospel and responds to the message. Now, in verse 36, you have him approaching some water. And the eunuch sees the water. And why does he ask this question? It's because what he's already believed. He's already believed who Christ is. It's been explained to him clearly. He's somebody who is being prepared by God himself to believe. And so he says, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And I believe that verse 37 was added later on to try and clarify stuff and make sure that we understand the truth of how salvation is accomplished. I don't think that there's anything in verse 37 that's inaccurate to the text, okay? but I do not believe that it's inspired text. It says, if you believe with all your hearts, you may, and he answered and said, I believe that, Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he's, he's affirming what I believe the text implies what the addition does. And, and so he understands the truth and he follows through with baptism. He pursues baptism right there. In 
And God has orchestrated all these events of Philip and the eunuch's life to bring him to salvation. You see how God is leading and directing through the story? God has no desire to take a back seat as the message of Christ advances. He is intricately involved in the details. Both of the person who's going to present the truth of the gospel and of the person who's going to receive the gospel. The circumstances of the eunuch's life have allowed him to come to a place where he is willing to hear the gospel. He knows that there is a problem. There is one God that sin separates him from God. And God has led Philip to him to present him with the truth of Jesus Christ. So through his death, burial, and resurrection, there is freedom from sin. There is freedom from fear of death. And he believes and he follows through in baptism. And you see this in verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. See, God is leading. God is demonstrating that his message still advances. It advances to places that you may not have ever thought the gospel would advance to. That's the idea. The uttermost ends of the earth. The gospel is advancing. Advancing to the very known borders of the known world. That's the idea. That God's word will accomplish its God is guiding and directing and leading people in this mission. And so the eunuch demonstrates his public faith and desire to obey the Lord in baptism. That's what baptism means. Baptism will not save. Baptism cannot save. Baptism is simply a means by which we profess to the world that we know that Jesus Christ lived, lived perfectly, he died, he was buried, that he was risen again. And that we are associating ourselves with that truth. That we believe that we died with Christ and we've been buried with Christ and that we've now been raised with Christ to live a brand new life. One that is pursuing after with our whole being Christ. Why? Because our old nature is now dead and we now have a new nature and we're seeking to live out the new nature the nature of Christ, not the sin nature. And so that's what the, the eunuch is professing. And from beginning to end, God directs the lives of his people. I believe that's the idea that is being communicated here. That God is leading, and God is directing, and God is orchestrating the events, sometimes hard, sometimes really hard events. There's a lot of things in the eunuch's life that would have been really great having access to the money that requires to be able to go on a six to seven month journey to go and worship God is an amazing blessing, right? Most of us could not afford that even if we worked our whole lives, right? That's crazy. But there's also the pain. I mean, eunuchs don't have families. And so there's, there's, there's pain that he's experiencing. But God brings all these events, both, both the ble blessings and the hard things, together and he uses them in such a way that this man comes to know Christ. God is directing people's lives. 
And he does so for his honor and for his glory to advance his mission. And so as we look at that and we are told once again that God's mission is advancing, that God plans and God directs his mission and he uses people in his sovereign purposes to point them to Christ, I think it brings up questions that you and I should be thinking about in our own hearts, in our own lives. How, how is God directing your life to point people to the joy of knowing their Lord? What people have, has God put in your life that he has a desire that you would take time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? I don't believe that we're supposed to read the accounts of Philip and this eunuch and believe that God has simply taken a hands-off approach since that day up to this point and no longer is orchestrating the events of my life and your life so that you and I have evangelistic opportunities in the world in which we live. Nothing that we've seen previously in the book of Acts and nothing that we will see from this point in the book of Acts through the rest of Acts points to the idea that God has sovereignly worked in people's lives, orchestrating, guiding, directing them so that they come to accomplish his purpose and that he's now taking his hands off and he's just letting the world kind of glide as it will. No, absolutely not. The idea is that God is directing and guiding your life. You have the neighbors you have because God is providing you opportunities to point them to you have the family that you have because God wants you to point them to Christ. You have the co-workers that you have because God wants you to point them to Christ. You enjoy the recreational opportunities you do so that you can have opportunities to point people to Christ. So how is God directing your life to point people to the joy of knowing the Lord? I, I think as you think through that, maybe a, a very practical way to begin to help you think through that and work in that direction is for you to think through how did God work in my life in bringing me to salvation? Right? Because it then calls upon you to look at your own experience and say, this is still happening. God is still sovereignly working in people's lives, in my life specifically, to bring me to salvation. If you didn't have the parents that you had, how would your life be drastically different? Would you have been saved at the time you were saved, or would you have been saved later? If I had not grown up where I grew up, the story of my salvation would be drastically different. Some of you have probably heard what happened in my coming to know Christ. I was a missionary's kid. I grew up in Ghana, West Africa. And we had some, some pastor, a pastor friend and his wife come out and visit us. And they visited us. We had a great time with them. We took them back up to the capital to drop them off at the airport. They got on the airplane. They flew away. We drove back home. About five miles out of the town that we live in, we hit an oncoming car that lost control. The two people in the other car both died instantaneously. Our family was all spared. But as my little six-year-old mind rehashed that night, I began to think about death and life 
sin and the consequences of sin. And what would have happened? Had I not been in that situation, might I have still come to Christ? Absolutely. But did God use, in his sovereign plan, before the foundation of the world, the events that he knew would occur in my life to cause my mind at six years of age to begin thinking about his will in my life? To cause me to begin to think about sin and its consequences? To cause me to think about the fact that my sin separates me from God, and if I died in that car accident, where would I have gone? Yes. God is still using the events of our lives to bring us to salvation. And each one of us could go through our own salvation accounts of how God used different people, different places, different events in our own lives that made us more receptive of God's word at the time that we heard God's word and received and what I'm saying is God is still doing the same thing. God is using people, he's using you, the relationships you have to bring people to Christ. God has a desire that the nations would worship him. And you are in the relationships that you're in, you're in the situation that you're in, so that you have opportunities to point people to Christ. That's what happens in this story, and that's what's still happening today. God's mission will be advanced. The question is, will you and I willingly come alongside and submit to his plan? Notice with me that the story ends, okay? The eunuch is baptized. Philip goes and baptizes him. Then verse 39, God still guides. And really verses 39 and 40 are just like these two little verses and it almost is like, why does he include this? But think about it. What does he repeat? He repeats once again this idea that God is still guiding. God is still taking Philip elsewhere. And you fast forward about 20 years later in the book of Acts, and what's happening? Philip is still in the location that he ends up after verse 40, Caesarea. And he's ministering, and he's worshiping God, and he's pointing people still to who Christ is. And he has kids, and his kids are doing the same thing. What's the idea? God is still guiding, God is still directing, God is still bringing people to salvation. This isn't something that just stopped there. The text makes it clear that God is still doing this. This is an ongoing thing that God does. God guides and directs. Why? So that people would see his glory. Look with me at verse 39. After baptizing the eunuch, the spirit comes and carries him to a new location. It's an even more drastic location change than he's experienced before, right? The other times he's been told in verse 26... Arise and go, like he's doing it. The other time, the Spirit comes to him and go to your and overtake, like hurry up, right over there in that chariot, get there. And this time, what happens? Verse 39. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You think the message stopped with the eunuch? No, all of a sudden, his life has been transformed. Is God's going to guide him into the land of Sudan where he's in a position of prominence and power and he has a new message that's complete. He not only knows that there's a, a one true God and that there's sin that separates man from God, but he knows what the solution to our separation is and that's Jesus Christ. And he's in the position that he's in so that what? So that he can proclaim the message. God's guided his life so clearly 
he's going to allow God to guide his life to lead others to salvation, right? But Philip does the same thing. Philip is guided away. Sometimes it's hard to imagine, well, why didn't Philip allow, God allow Philip to, you know, travel with him for a little longer so he could disciple him and point him to a little bit more truth before he just disappeared. I don't know. But God had a different plan for Philip. God wanted to point other people at a different location to Christ. So God's plan for Philip was not yet complete. The text ends by portraying the message of Christ as always advancing and seeing more people come to faith in Christ. Look with me in verse 40. But Philip was found at Azotus. So he's at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. What's the idea? The idea is that the same thing that happened with the Samaritan town, the same thing that happens to Ethiopian eunuch, it's the same thing that happens at Azotus. It's the same thing that happens to all the cities as he goes from there to Caesarea. And 20 years later, we're going to find Philip still in Caesarea doing what? The same thing. He's proclaiming Christ. Why? Because God's mission is not stopped. God is guiding people and he's using people to accomplish his mission. Now the question is whether or not you and I will willingly submit ourselves whether we'll allow the opportunities that he gives us, that he guides us and leads us into, to be opportunities that we embrace, that we boldly take and say, I'm going to clearly use this opportunity to clearly present Jesus Christ as the one whom the world needs, the one who solves the, the, the problem of humanity. They are separated from God, but sin, sin breaks their relationships. And through Christ, hope is found. Forgiveness available. Peace with God is accessible here in this life. Not because of you or what you could do, but because of Christ. And so God cares deeply that the message of his son is advanced in the world. And God's plan moves forward today, guided by the Holy Spirit. It's done drastically differently. Do not expect that you're going to be somehow transported from Menards across the street to Walmart. That will not happen to you. But is God going to sovereignly work in your life to bring you into conversations and relationships and friendships with people that need Christ, who is sovereignly working in their lives and the events of their lives to soften their hearts to hear the gospel? Yes. Yes, God will do that. And as he does that, and as you use those opportunities, what can we expect? We can expect the gospel will advance. The gospel will penetrate dark places and it will accomplish its mission. People will come to Christ who we thought would never come to Christ. Why? Because the gospel is that powerful. And so as we think about application, as we think about what does this passage mean for your life and for my life, I think that you and I need to be reminded that confidence is found in knowing that God guides and directs our Sometimes it's easy to look at the, the times in our lives and be confused by them, to be perplexed by them, to even be frustrated or angry by them. And, and that's not to say that some of the events that we go through are wrong. Some of the events and situations that we face in our lives are absolutely sinful. They're a vast mischaracterization of the grace and love of God. And yet God can 
degrees, even though he lives. It is so contrary to who he is by nature to help us to see that the world is not about those events. It's about knowing Christ, knowing the love and forgiveness that he alone can offer through broken and wounded hearts. And so as you and I go and as we are led by God, there's confidence in knowing that God is using our lives to accomplish his Hope is seen in the fact that God is working in individual hearts, preparing them for the hope of salvation. It amazes me that, you know, as I, as I first started studying this passage, you know, I, I primarily was focusing on the fact that God was guiding Philip. And that was the primary thing that I was seeing. As I kind of concluded my study, I was like, you know, yeah, God is definitely doing that. But God is working in people's hearts who are unbelievers even at this point. And God is preparing their hearts, softening their hearts, so that when he leads me or you to them, that they are receptive to the truth. And that should encourage you and I. That God doesn't simply lead you, he leads them. Because our God is far greater than simply being able to lead the people that have chosen to follow him also leading and guiding people who have at this point not determined to personally follow him. He's working in their lives, guiding them, directing them, providing them little pieces of truth to lay the foundation so that when they hear the story of Christ, they receive it. And they receive it with rejoicing and with gladness. God saves people from all ethnic groups. I think this is one of the Underlying ideas that's picking up on Acts chapter 1. You remember, you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit comes and you'll go into Jerusalem. And my message will advance there, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And this, this idea of the uttermost parts of the earth is really what's going to flush out the rest of the book of Acts, right? The rest of the book of the Acts is almost exclusively stories of God message advancing to non-Israelites, right? Because God's truth advances. It advances in hard, darkened corners of the earth, and when it does, the light of Christ brings light. So God saves people from all ethnic groups. Let me conclude with this thought. God is still working and bringing people to himself. You see that in your own testimony of salvation. You see that in the text. You see that Philip was used by God. God directed his life. God directed the Ethiopian's life to bring him to salvation. But notice how the text does not end there. The text could have simply ended at verse 38 and saying, he got baptized and he was rejoicing and he left. But for some reason, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, verse 39 and forward here too, telling us what? The Spirit's work does not stop. And it's not that it stops once it gets to Caesarea. No. Far contrary to that. The idea is that the message of God is still advancing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is still working through the people of God. And so how are you going to allow this to transform how you live? How you think it's going to be? About the relationships that you're in. God wants you to use the relationships you have to advance the message of Christ. 
That should be our heart's prayer and our heart's desire as we leave here. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that your truth advances. That it advances despite our sin. It advances despite our flaws. It advances despite our, our laziness at times. And it does so not because of who we are, but because of who you are. We pray that as we meditate on the fact that you plan and orchestrate our lives and our unbelievers' lives to bring them to yourself, that it would encourage us and challenge us to use the opportunities that you sovereignly give us to boldly and clearly proclaim Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was risen again, and is one day coming as King of kings and Lord of lords, and that you will one day die that we would encourage people to make today the day of salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. We must stand for our final song. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.